0: At 2.47 p.m. on May 12, 2008, most of the south-central mountain region of China was going about their day as usual. There was nothing insignificant about the day. People were driving to work. Kids were getting ready to be let out of school. Yet two minutes later, an earthquake hit. It was one of the largest earthquakes that has ever hit China. And very quickly, what had happened was everything was rubble. What once were buildings was now demolished. What once were standing structures were knocked down. Uh, At that time, a little boy named Lin Hao, who was nine years old at the time, was walking the halls of his school. He was the hall monitor at his school. And as the school began to collapse, there was debris everywhere. He found himself covered under heavy debris. And what he did was he began to find his friends who were calling out and began to dig them out from the debris. And one by one, young person after young person, this little nine-year-old boy would pull them from the rubble, take them to the front of the school, then enter back into the falling structure and grab more and more of his friends and bring them to the front of the school and save their lives. When all of this was said and done, they interviewed this young little hero and asked him, why did you do this? Why did you go and save these kids? Why did you enter back into the rubble and save everyone? And his response, I love his response, his response was simply this, I'm the hall monitor, that's what I do. He knew that his job in that moment was to enter into the rubble and save his friends because he was the hall monitor. Uh, he's considered a hero now in China. Uh, during the Beijing Olympics, he entered into the stadium on Yao Ming's shoulders, uh, and he was celebrated all throughout China. And I don't, I don't know about you guys right now, but right now for me, it feels like we're experiencing a bit of a cultural earthquake. It feels like. One minute, everything is normal, everything is the same, everything is just the way it has been forever. We're driving about doing our normal days, and then suddenly we're using words like pandemic and quarantine and COVID-19 and social distancing, and we're wearing masks and gloves when we go to the grocery stores, and suddenly everything that once was stable feels shaken, And over the coming weeks, we're going to talk about the life of Jesus, and we're going to look at Jesus' move towards the cross and what Jesus experienced in the last weeks of his life. But as we do this, we want to learn from the posture of Jesus. We want to look at who Jesus is and what Jesus was actually doing and how that speaks to how we need to walk in faithfulness right now in our everyday life. In 2016, Angela Duckworth wrote the best-selling book, Grit, uh, it's an absolutely brilliant book. I loved it. And and what Duckworth was is, is she's a psychologist who began to research success. What are the markers of people that succeed in a variety of fields and people that don't succeed? And what, what, How do you differentiate and know what makes successful people successful? And here's what she came up with. She formulated this idea of grit, and she says it's a combination of passion and perseverance, Passion is long-term adherence to a goal and a consistency of pursuing the same thing day after day. And perseverance means overcoming any kind of setback or hard work and finishing rather than giving up. And what she speculates is that what is needed in our world, what is needed for success in business, in sports, in any field that we talk about, the thing that is needed is grit, it's this passion and this perseverance and this not giving up. And I think what we see in Jesus as he moves towards the cross is a gritty determination to follow where God leads. What we need right now in our world is more Lin What we need right now is more people who have a gritty determination, a passion, and a perseverance to follow where God leads, even when there is fear all around us, even when there is anxiety at our doorstep, even when the whole world that we believe in has been shaken. Because when the world is shaken, the followers of God become the rescue party. We are not the refugees waiting for someone else to come and save us. We are the rescue party who steps into the world. These are the values that we've been talking about as a church over the last few weeks. We hear the whisper so that we know God's plan and we know the mission that he's called us to. We soak the altar, which means we radically obey and we walk in the plans that he's asked us to do. And when the earthquake comes, we become the people that wreck the roof. We step in and we don't shrink back. So I want to look at Jesus's life a little bit, and then I want to pivot to Hebrews and talk about what is shaking and what is unshakable. Now, uh, if you have your Bibles, you can turn with me to Luke chapter 9, verse 51. Uh, Jesus had been going about his regular ministry. He'd been training up his disciples. He'd been healing people, teaching, training, doing all of these things. And suddenly in Luke chapter 9, there is a shift. Uh, there's a shift in Jesus' attention. There's a shift in the way that he trains his disciples. There's a shift in the way that his ministry is moving and what he's doing day to day. And in Luke 9, 51, it says this, When the days drew near for him to be taken up, he set his face to go to Jerusalem. I think it's interesting there that it says he set his face it doesn't say he set his heart, it doesn't say he set his mind, it doesn't say he set his attention or set his affections, he set his face. Uh, I, my, my wife was talking to me this week and we were talking about this passage and she was like, well, it makes sense because this is what you do with your kids. When your kids aren't paying attention, you say, look at me, like set your face on me. Where, where your eyes are, that's where your heart is, your body always follows your face. And so he set his face. And so I started looking at this passage. I started trying to understand where did this word set his face come from? And I looked in Isaiah chapter 50. Uh, Isaiah chapter 50 is a prophetic telling of what the suffering servant is going to do. It, it's, it's this story of who Jesus is going to be before Jesus ever came. And in Isaiah 50, verses six through seven, when talking about the suffering servant, it says this, I gave my back to those who will strike. I gave my cheeks to the, those who will pull out the beard, which that sounds awful. It says, I hid not my face from disgrace and from spitting, but the Lord helps me. Therefore, I have not been disgraced. And therefore, I have set my face like flint, And I know I will not be put to shame. I have set my face like Flint. I was reading about Flint this week, and here's what it says Flint is a hard sedimentary rock that occurs in nodules of limestone deposits. It's used for making stone tools. It was used in that time to make any kind of tool at that time that needed to be hard and powerful. Uh, It was used as a fire starter when struck with steel. In the Revolutionary War, we use flintlock, which are firearms, to ignite gunpowder. Flint works as a metaphor for the firmness of the suffering servant's mentality. It's this gritty determination. It's I have set my face, I have set my heart, I have set all, everything in me is set towards the goal that God has for me and nothing is going to deter me from what God has invited me into. And Jesus' journey to the cross was filled with these moments. There's so many moments where Jesus could have chosen to press eject or to bail out or to jump out or, or to run from the plans that God has for him. I mean, imagine Jesus on Palm Sunday when he enters into Jerusalem, everybody's worshiping him, everybody's honoring him, everybody's ready to name him king. It would have been easy for Jesus in that moment to become the king that everybody wanted him to be instead of the king that God called him to. But Jesus's gritty determination made him press on and not fall to what the crowd wanted him to be, but to become who he needed to be for God. Uh, Imagine all the times when his friends told him, no, he he said, I'm going towards the cross. And Peter said, no, you're not doing that. And I won't let you do that. And Jesus said, get behind me, Satan. It would have been easy for him to listen to his friends, to back down, to shrink back from the mission that God had called him to, to not be the suffering servant, but to be the celebrated servant. Um, There were, there was so many obstacles in the way between in Luke chapter nine and when he actually goes to the cross in Jerusalem. There there were so many times when he was betrayed, when when the very people he had come to save didn't understand why he was coming to save him. There were so many moments where he could have said, this isn't worth it. I I just, I'm not going to push through. I'm not going to fight through. I'm just going to back down. And then imagine Jesus in Gethsemane, this moment where the suffering servant prays and says, Lord, please take this cup from me where he asks the very people who are supposed to be his closest friends, who are supposed to be the ones who are in it with him, keep falling asleep and can't even pray with him through the night. It is only gritty perseverance, gritty determination that leads Jesus through the crisis that he's facing and through to the mission that God has called us to. And I want to encourage everyone in this season that what the church needs right now, what the world needs right now, is gritty determination from the people of God. A gritty determination to step into the places that no one else is stepping into. To love in a way that no one else is loving. To choose love over fear, faith over anxiety every single day of our lives, and to be rooted in something that's real. In seismically active zones like the Jordan Rift Valley, there's this unique circumstance which is called liquefaction. It sounds like something a superhero would do or something that would happen in in, in a superhero story. But what actually begins to happen is beneath the surface, uh, there is liquid that actually causes these sinkholes and causes the ground that we walk on to actually in a moment be liquefied. Uh, In other words, there are times of upheaval where the ground is shaken so violently that even the properties of the earth start to change. And I think the church finds itself in a position like that today. I think many of you sitting in your living room today find your lives in this place of upheaval where you were standing on solid ground, everything was normal, and all of a sudden everything was liquefied, and the cultural earthquake took place, and we don't know where we stand anymore. And even churches that have been built on strong foundations find the ground beneath them shaken and turned into liquid, and everything is shifted very quickly. We, we have no idea what to do about it right now. I mean, how do you build a church when we don't even know whether the ground that we're standing on is solid? How do we live faithfully? How do we follow Christ? How do we not give up to fear and anxiety when we're losing income and, and when we see the people that we love around us losing their jobs, when we see the people around us that we love starting to get sick, when we see all of these things beginning to happen? In Hebrews chapter 12, it brings us to a place in the history of God's people where there was incredible upheaval in the people of God's life. There was a revolt in Israel. And General Titus at that time had sent troops... Into Jerusalem, to crush the revolt, and the people of God had to choose at that time. Are we going to be a part of this revolt? Are we going to to raise up and, and overcome and fight with swords and, and, and fight with violence, or are we going to become the people that Jesus called us to be and not revolt in the way of violence? Uh, The people were squeezed on every side. They were locked in their homes as not to participate in the war that was outside of their homes. The world was being turned upside down, and the people of God were starting to buckle. And the writer of the Hebrews, in Hebrews chapter 12, verse 26, gives us a word that is, I think, the word that we need to carry with us into our world today. Here's how it starts, Hebrews 12, 26 It says, at that time, his voice shook the earth, but now he has promised once more, I will shake the earth, not only the earth, but also the heavens. The words once more indicate the removing of what can be shaken, which is the created things so that what cannot be shaken will remain. This is so important. Here's what, here's what the writer of the Hebrews is saying. There are things in this world that can be shaken. There are things in this world that are not solid ground, that in one moment can disappear and can be liquefied. But there are also things that cannot be shaken. Verse 28, therefore, since we are receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken, let us be thankful and worship God acceptably with reverence and awe, for God is our consuming fire. And we find ourselves in this world of upheaval. We're stuck in our homes. We're watching those we love become sick. We're losing jobs. We're seeing economic collapse. Uh, all the, everything seems to have changed. And, and just like the Hebrews, the temptation for us is to become afraid for ourselves. It's to turn inwardly. It's to believe in scarcity. It's to fall to anxiety and fear, to become self-centered, self-preserving, to adopt a defensive mentality, a victim mentality, a survivor mentality. But what if... What if in this season, God is actually shaking the things that need to be shaken? He's actually removing the things that we've put our faith in and our hope in and our trust in that aren't worthy of our trust and our hope. What if the things that are being shaken in our lives right now are actually the things that need to be shaken? And what if we've been clinging blindly to old structures, shaken structures, and we need to remember that we've inherited a kingdom that cannot be shaken? That we've inherited something that cannot be taken away. That in the middle of the cultural earthquake where everything around us is shaken, the things that are being shaken are the things that need to be shaken. And when our old stories get shaken, instead of clinging to the old stories and fighting for them, what if we begin to live a new story? What if when the old things begin to be shaken, we actually cling to the kingdom of heaven that cannot be shaken And what if right now in our world we're starting to realize that we are not the refugees, we are the rescue team? That the things that we've placed our hope and our trust in, our political parties, our economics, our jobs, all of these things, our our health and our security, what if all of these things we've placed our hope in are not the things that we should have been grounded in in the first place? What if the things that we should be rooted in is the kingdom of God? It's the things that God gives us, and what if we become the people that march with gritty determination into the earthquake and become the rescue party? Perhaps God is shaking some things in your life right now because He wants to reveal to you that the things that you've put your trust and hope in are not the things that you should be putting your trust and hope in. We live in a shaken place. And so the question becomes, how do we live in a shaken world? How do we live in a world of upheaval? How do we live in this world? And I love what Hebrews 13 answers. This is how we're supposed to be. It's really simple, but it's also incredibly profound. Hebrews 13 verse 1, it says, Keep loving one another as brothers and sisters. The first thing that we do is we show compassion. Even when the world is in upheaval, we continue to love one another. What are our patterns of love for our brothers and sisters? What are our patterns of love that we're creating in our families? I'm hearing from families that they're creating new rhythms of connection, that that married couples are feeling more connected uh, than they have in years, that that families are experiencing breakthrough because they're actually just together and they're slowing down. We're keeping loving one another every day. We're doing daily prayers every day at 10 a.m., every weekday at 10 a.m., where the church is gathering together and loving one another and praying for one another. I'm seeing the church Keep loving one another in a world of cultural upheaval. And then it says, Do not forget to show hospitality to strangers. For by doing so, some people have shown hospitality to angels without knowing it. We continue to love our neighbors. This week on Friday, we released an email to the entire church uh, revealing our, our compassion plan for the next few weeks. And it's the Love Your Neighbor Project. It's just this idea of we're each going to take a card and place it on our neighbor's porch and say, if you need me to be the one that goes and gets groceries, if you need anything in this season, if you need prayer, if you need somebody to talk to on the phone, if you need anything, contact me. And, 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 and we'd love to be there for you. This is us becoming the rescue party and not the refugees. It's not us sitting around waiting for something to happen. It's us becoming the people of God with gritty determination who step into this crisis and become the people that God has called us to. Uh, if you're interested more in that, email us at compassion at gfc.tv, and we'd love to send you more. If you have prayer needs, send them to compassion at gfc.tv. If you are in, uh, uh, in crisis right now and you need help, send an email to compassion at gfc.tv, and we will be the people who come and help and serve. Verse 5 says this, keep your lives free from the love of money. And be content with what you have because God has said, never will I leave you and never will I forsake you. Not only do we need compassion and connection, but we need a connecting story. And the story of our culture, the story of America, has always been a culture that is rooted and founded on economics. It's rooted and founded in the love of money, and when that money uh, uh, begins to be taken away or when the economics begin to fall apart, we believe that everything is falling apart, and what is used as a source of um, getting by daily becomes the only source that we live by, and money becomes the only thing that we worship. If if other cultures worship other gods, our God is money. Our God has always been money. We've always worshipped the God of security, the God of money, the God of finance. And so the connecting story for our country is when the economics fall apart, everything falls apart. But the connecting story of God's story is that God is a God of abundance, that He does not lack for anything that there is no such thing as scarcity the story of god the connecting story of god keeps us free to live a content life we trust god with faith and I think we've domesticated those words. We've domesticated the word faith, and we've domesticated the word trust, and we've domesticated those things and made them this simple kind of mamby-pamby kind of little thing that we do. And, and when crisis comes, when the earthquake comes, when the ground is shaken, our faith turns into something real. It's not soft, and it's not easy. It's gritty, and it's hard, and it's challenging, and it takes passion, and it takes perseverance. Verse six says this, so we can say with confidence, the Lord is my helper and I will not be afraid for what can mere mortals do to me? Remember your leaders who spoke the word of God to you. Consider the outcome of the way of their life and imitate their faith for Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. The Lord is my helper I will not be afraid. You may need to say that out loud in your homes right now. You may need to start the day with that every single day. The Lord is my helper. I will not be afraid. Uh, The last thing that we need in the middle of this cultural earthquake, in the middle of the ground shaking, in the middle of this uh, upheaval is we need a compass. We need a compass to guide us. Uh, When we lived in Louisville, Kentucky, there was a tornado that hit our community. And our, our, our church that I worked for at that time had a camp in Henryville, Indiana. And it was just a short drive up the highway to get to this camp. And And I remember the, the tornado had hit, and I was driving up a, a few weeks later to this camp. And as I was driving, I pulled off the exit ramp, and I thought I had pulled off the wrong ramp because everything that was there was gone. The gas station that was once there was gone. The schoolhouse that was once there was gone. The homes were gone, and everything had just been flattened out. The entire terrain had changed. And for many of us, we've been using maps for our lives and how we make disciples that no longer work. We've been thinking the terrain, the exit, is going to look exactly the same when the truth is everything has changed and the exit has changed. That's what the Hebrews writer is saying. Everything may change. Everything may change. But there's one thing that remains the same. Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. And He will always be our compass. So we don't stress. We don't fear. We don't live in constant anxiety. We don't receive our hope from our news sources In fact, I want to encourage everybody to unplug from your news sources and plug into Scripture. Stop stop watching the news incessantly and and, and take it in bite-sized pieces because if you do, you're going to live in fear and anxiety and worry when Christ has said, here's what we're doing. I have not changed. I am the same yesterday, today, and forever. Jesus is the same today as he was a few weeks ago before COVID-19 hit the United States. Jesus is the same today as he was before people started losing their jobs, before started pe- people started getting sick. Jesus has not changed, and he is the compass. He is the model. He is the picture of what gritty determination and passionate perseverance look like. And so I just want to give you and your family two questions to reflect on this morning. I would love for you, maybe you need to pause the video or maybe you need to write these down and carry these throughout the week and just lead to a family discussion over and over again. And here's the first question. What's being shaken for you right now? What's the thing that once was stable and now feels like it's been taken away and has been shaken? And what is God teaching you through the shaking? What is God asking you to cling to and hold on to when everything around us feels shaken? And the second thing I want to ask is, what does gritty determination look like for you right now? What does a gritty determination and a passionate perseverance to move towards God and what He's invited you to look like in this season? In the early church, there were many different plagues that struck. Uh, For the early church, one of the things that happened was when these plagues struck, everyone would leave the cities and would run to the hills. And what the people of God would do is they would stay They would stay in the cities. They would care for the sick. When everyone else would run, they would enter in. When everyone else stepped away from being the rescue team, they stepped in and became the rescue team. And writers like Josephus said things like this. It's no wonder that the early church grew because the early church cares for everybody. Everybody else in our culture looks out for themselves. The Jews look out for the Jews. The Gentiles look out for the Gentiles. The slaves look out for the slaves. The women look out for the women. But the people of God, the people of Jesus, these Christians, they look out for everybody. What does it look like for you with gritty determination to not just look out for yourself in this season, to not just close yourself off, but to become the people of God who become the rescue party? This is what we're calling the church to do. This is what I'm inviting you to step into over the coming weeks. Be praying for us. Be praying for the church. We're praying for you. Join us in daily prayers every day. If you have a lack of imagination of how to do this or what you're called to, email us at thatcompassion@gfc.tv, at and let's come up with ideas together. We believe that revival is actually coming. There's an article in the Wall Street Journal this week that said after every pandemic that's ever hit the earth, what's followed has been revival. And we believe revival is coming. We believe the things that are being shaken right now are the things that God's saying, I don't need you to cling to that because I want you to cling to what is unshakable. There is an unshakable faith that is available to you right now. There is a gritty determination that is in you and there is a God, there is Jesus who is the same yesterday, today, and forever. We love you guys and we're praying for you. Have a great week.